Welcome to Season 2 of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. This season is dedicated to interviews with mayoral and city council candidates running for the city of Powell River within the Cothed region during the 2022 municipal election. Here's your host, Aaron Reed. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. Joining me today is Mr. Todd Phillips. Todd is running for the position of City Councillor for the City of Powell River in the October 15, 2022 municipal election. Here is Todd's submission. My name is Todd Phillips. I was born in Powell River in 1965. I have lived here my entire life except for when I have left for post-secondary education. I am currently involved in a stable, 23-year common law relationship. I have spent most of this time working in the logging industry as a faller and first aid attendant. I've owned my own successful small business in the salvage logging industry for 20 years. I've spent 33 years reclaiming 20 acres and restoring the buildings on land in Cranberry. Recently I decided to sell the business and property to downsize and slow things down as I retired from the industry. I no longer spend the majority of my time in camps and currently work and live in Central Westview. I have been involved in local soccer since elementary school then moving on to Senior Men's, followed by Powell River Villa, topping it all off with games played for Canada's National Para team. I am a member of the local search and rescue. I also volunteer for Special Olympics. I do not sit on the boards of these nonprofits, and am unpaid for my time. I am running in this election because I think we need a change in how things have been going over the last number of years. For those that know me, I am a worker. I will do the research and put in the hours to get the right decision. I do not belong to, donate to, or have I ever been a paid employee of a political party. I am not taking campaign donations. I am independent. Please join me in welcoming Todd Phillips. Welcome, Todd. Nice to be here. Thank you for coming to the podcast and spending the time today. And I'm sorry for the plane overhead and the birds (laughs) in the background, but doing the best. I thought we could start out with you maybe just telling me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and where you were born, all that kind of stuff. Uh, pretty simple on that one. Born and raised here in town. Okay. All in Cranberry till the last couple of years when I just moved to the downtown core, but when I downsized, kind of retired. <laughs> kind of retired. <laughs> <laughs> Whole growing up in, in Cranberry. What was yeah. that like? I liked it. We had, I mean, I obviously bought there after I, when I bought my own house. Okay. We had the little, you have the larger lots, you're still inside the city, you're really close to everything, but you still have had a lot more privacy out there. Nice. What kind of experiences did you have growing up? Nothing unordinary, I think. I pretty well stuck to the the soccer. Started that in elementary school and that's kind of, you know, besides trying to get good grades. (laughs) (laughs) I did all right on that too, but... um, you know, that was the sports outlet for a lot of years. Okay, and I see you're wearing today a Power River Villa sweatshirt. I just came from the game. Did you? I had to leave early. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of work have you done over the years? After I left university, I never finished because I ran out of money. Okay. That's typical of a lot of us. <laughs> right. Um, my whole background up to that point had been in the logging industry. You know, when I was off for summers and stuff, my family was in it, so I kind of stuck to that and then not long after I came back I started my own in the cedar salvage shake block industry. Okay and how long were you doing that? Till I did it till 96 when I had an industrial accident and then I after that did it for I went back for a few years after that but by the time 
WCB finished up and, you know, if you spend a decade fighting with WCB, you really don't have a lot of contracts left when it's over. Yeah, fair enough. So you went through that fun. It is entertaining. I can honestly say I think the only reason I got through it was that I was self-employed and that I had a large amount of money set aside for payroll mm. and for operating costs. So I was able to live for a decade off of that money to operate my company. If you didn't have anything to fall back on, I don't know how you survive that long. They don't pay you, contrary to popular belief. So we covered what neighbourhood you live in. Why did you choose to stay in Cranberry? Probably just comfort. Yeah. And like I say, I like the privacy was nice. I mean, when I bought there, it was the 86 housing crisis is what I could get for what I needed at the time. It needed, it took me over 30 years to restore it and finish it, but... Wow. But it was, yeah, it was appropriate. It was there. I knew the area. What are your favorite places to spend time within the city? Within the city? Mostly I'm regional district. Okay. Because that's, I've got the two dogs. So most of the time would be on the trails where I, you can find places that are quiet and you can let the dogs off leash and let dogs be dogs for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> what made you decide to put your name in for city council? Well, I've, I retired recently. I retired from the logging industry. I've, I sold my 20 acres in Cranberry, which had what I was farming with a hay field. I, so that's gone. I sold the downsized, sold all the equipment off from the, the loaders and the pickups and everything. And I downsized and when you've been a worker for that long, sitting idle does not do you well. And I mean, it, you actually become grumpy when you've got nothing to do. <laughs> um, and with no disrespect to the current members, I mean, the current council, I mean, they've all made their times. I know it's a commitment, but obviously there's a few things I'm not happy about in Powell River. And there's, so you have to make that choice. You know, I have the time, I have the time to commit to the city. And if I think I can do better, put your name in. Fair enough. What are those issues that are top of mind for you as we go into the election? Well, number one, I think for a lot of people has been the rapid increase in the taxes. I mean, we have a lot of people, not everybody, as I enter retirement, I've done well, but not everybody has a gold-plated pension plan. If you're sitting there and you're living at home and you're retired and you're on guaranteed income, old age security, $20, $30 a month might not sound a lot to most people, but you know, we talk about the housing crisis and affordability. Well, you take $20, $30 a month of tax increases out of somebody's income when they've only got 100 bucks a month to spend. It's a big issue. Right. And we have to just slow things down a bit. Any other issues? Um, I guess, I mean, there's the other one, I guess, from having moved to the downtown core and working in the downtown is the um, is the homeless shelter, and I don't like to come down on those people, but it's not that pleasant living in that neighborhood. Okay. You know, there's you know there's and it's gets to be to a point where you're starting to think like it's not nice when you're. I grew up in Powell River where you didn't care who was walking through your yard, and there's a whole different you know whole different feeling down there now when someone's walking around your house. What are you up to? Right. And it's just not really what I wanted to do. And I say I don't want to come down on those people. And I shouldn't say those people, they're people just like me. I mean, I, just, I don't want to come down and be negative about it, but we have to get a different model operating out of that, out of that homeless shelter and out of the CRC, and we have to get something better happening before we expand this any further. 
Is there certain strengths that you have that you feel would be really beneficial in the council chambers? I mean, I am in self-employed. I have ran successful businesses for a long time. I mean, I've made mistakes like everybody else, but overall, I have been able to come up with the right decisions, make the right choices, and, you know, in the logging industry, there's as many that go down as are successful. So, I mean, I've proven I can manage the books, and you also have to be very, you know, you have to learn employees and, you know, what works for employees, what's good, what's bad, how to, you know, it's, it's weird. Everybody's different on... Mm -hmm what they what they want what they desire and what they need to get the best day out of them absolutely how do you work through conflict because often if we get this variety of people that we like to see around the council chambers and table then there's often an issue where conflict arises how do how do you handle conflict um i've had to learn a lot to be honest in full disclosure i had an injury in 96 it was a severe brain injury and I've had the paperwork to run for council two times before this, but I haven't filled it out, but haven't turned it in because I didn't think I was medically in the right situation to handle that type of conflict. I didn't react to it medically well. Mm -hmm. And I've had 26 years since the injury to learn how to control myself, to try and control my temper, to try and stay calm and realize that if I let myself get overly wound up, I will not, <laughs> it's, it's going to be medical disaster for me. Right. So I've had a lot of time here of learning a lot about myself to learn that, you know, you got to sit there, you got to listen, you've got to respond, but you've got to do your research first. Just responding emotionally and out of control gets you nowhere and no one's listened to you anyways. Right. So you got to, you know, if you have to step back, do the research, get the facts, look at the reality is there a better way to do this is this the best and you don't have to present that properly and i say that is the biggest thing is don't let the emotions take control of you or you know know what they say no one wants to listen to someone ranting and at the same point you're not doing yourself any favors right and i think we're we all uh, we all find ways that we're struggling with that sometimes for sure and there's the quiet places. If you're that upset, go take the dogs for a walk. There's quiet places. You can find them. Mow my lawn, though sometimes it gets mowed repetitively for days. <laughs> <laughs> Best looking lawn on the block. <laughs> so one question I've been asking all the candidates, and this one actually came from youth themselves. Yeah. Our youth aren't able to vote, obviously. However, they are an important part of our community. And we do have little for them to do outside of sports and arts and, and outdoor activities. And many teens and young adults aren't into those things. Do you have any ideas of ways we could address the lack of spaces for teens and young adults and better support them? Yeah, I'm not, I say sports was my entire outlet when I was a child. So sports, I'm not, I say I'm not 100% sure about that. I knew when we grew up, I've seen the failures and the successes around here. And I mean, we had all the little youth clubs and we had the different stuff in Cranberry. We had one for a while and different things tried. That kind of stuff worked for some people, not for others. On the private industry in, we used to have the arcades and all the stuff like that. But once again, that worked for some people, not forever. I mean, this becomes a pretty individualized thing. And the only way I could honestly say, I don't know, without talking to them, yeah. what will work for you? 
I mean, there's been so many ideas presented in the past. Some have come, some have failed. And I say it's hard for me to say when I found my outlet. I mean, I stuck to soccer right through till even occasionally still making it out to old timers. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I wish I could still be out playing baseball. <laughs> Have you read the 94 calls to action put out by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada? No, I did read UNDRIP. I thought that was important. Okay. I did go through that and I read that carefully. I, when I was going to all the conversation meetings about the name change, the pamphlets were there, the little booklets were there. So I have read the one booklet, but not the other booklet. Okay. My main priority, if I'm going to read something, is I want to read the, um, I haven't read the Klamath Nation um, Treaty. Okay. And there's so much information out there that's so drastically different from what one person says to another that I didn't think it was necessary to read, but to get the honest truth on that, I'd have to read it because I've heard so many varying and opposing views that seem to say they, this is what it says. Right. And they're exact opposites. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you think the city is doing with regards to truth and reconciliation? Um, we're having the conversation now. I mean, that was a start with the name change committee. It wasn't just done which is good because there's just too much emotions right now and that can go good or bad, right? Yeah. Um, so having the conversations, having, you know, they're in, they've got their own government now. So let's repeat Klamination with respect and let's continue to have those conversations. The last part of the, um, when, you, when I read the uh, United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, I mean, the first part, is pretty simple that's no racism the first part of it i read i mean everybody's people we treat everybody the same whether you're indigenous or not that's just should be a way of life right the second part was about the compensation where we have had the treaty which i said i hope that have settled that i'm hoping i haven't read it but this third part where we get into the apologies and trying to right the wrongs, that's the stages we're hitting now, and it's honestly going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, I honestly, with the Israel Paul thing, I've grown up here, I'm raised here, I had no idea who Israel Paul was. Right. That's something I've just learned in the last few years. I mean, I'm as guilty as that as anybody else, but it's just not something that ever occurred to me, never knew about. So you have to, you know, with the education and stuff like that, we'll have to go on from there. But it is going to be difficult, and there's only just by talking, meeting, and trying to work together. I don't see other, any other way around it. Right. And we actually talked about this already. So my other question was, one major concern of many electors is rising taxes. Do you have any ideas on how taxation can be held without cutting current services? And, yeah, I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I think we have to go out there and just start slashing things. That's not the way to do this, but I think we really have to get a, a grip on our additional services being added till we can afford them. Let's take what we have, let's work with what we have, let's get them working efficiently and um, let's do this properly. And I, if I'm correct, we have one more year of the reduction on the mill taxes. So we got one more year, we're going to have to keep things tight. And then the year after, if we're back to the full mill taxes, it might give us a little bit of room to breathe again. But as far as, you know, adding new capital costs, at taking more borrowing, taking more interest, doing all that kind of stuff, we just have to take a breather for a bit 
accept what we have is working. We have a lot. We have a lot to offer. It's, you know, it's working good. Let's keep it working good and try and just hold off on expansion for now to hold off on those tax increases. Proposed spending for the new emergency services building is another contentious topic. Where do you stand on the emergency services building? I went over there the other day. I live in their backyard. I'm on oh. Butedale. I actually talk to them over the fence quite regularly. <laughs> I have a lot of friends there. At least I think I do. <laughs> I went over there and went to the meeting the other night. And when you look at the what they're saying, it's. I mean, I've been here. I, I was walking to school when they were building the Cranberry Fire Hall. I mean, that didn't work out. That was the plan. The existing fire hall they use now, I do know it's old. I mean, I was at a New Year's party there in the 90s when it was just all volunteers still living upstairs in it and they're having a party. So that was only at that time a volunteer station, then it became the main station. So I do 100% agree that as far as capital projects go, I think of all the capital projects I heard, I think it's the most urgent of all to be done. But as I've said right now, I don't think at this immediate time we have the money to push forward through with it. We have to just hold for a year or so here till we get back to hopefully the full taxes on the mill and then start to deal with it. But when it comes time to do a capital project, I would honestly agree that that's number one on my priority list, just not at this immediate time. Okay. In affordable housing, do you think council has a role to play in affordable housing? Well, I can tell you from going to meetings for three, four months, they could start by approving some of the apartment buildings that people want to build. I mean, I'm, you know, I listened to one guy there the other night. He was lots. I don't know the exact plan how affordable his house was, his houses are going to be. But he's into this for nine months, and they haven't even gone to public, public consultation yet. You know, if we want houses to get built, there was one other one in there that just got approved, um, a 34-unit building, if I'm correct. But yeah, and there's another one going on for five or six, but these things are getting drug on for months and months and months. And as a businessman, I do know the longer you drag things on, the more expensive they get. You know, people have got to get architects, and then when things get turned down, they got to go back, they got to be redrawn. And, you know, you've got, you've taken lines of credits out and stuff like that that you might still be paying interest and fees on. And if we want things to be affordable, before the city gets involved in, you know, we can't just say the city has to build and the city has to do everything. How about letting these people in the private sector that want to run houses, let them get through with it. And that goes with the carriage houses too. There's a lot of people that would love to take their family their elderly parents and stuff and build that carriage house in their backyard and look after themselves. And if the zoning's correct and then they can do it, we have to speed that along. We can't be letting, making people wait two years to get that through the process. And I mean, I have been going to meetings for a while and from what I'm hearing to the people talking in there, these things are not going quickly. Mm. And it, they have to be done properly, but they have to also be time efficient to keep costs down and to get these houses out there for people. Okay. And then the other issue, you'd alluded to it a little bit, but the crime the crime issue around town, do you think council has a role to play in reducing crime? We do in one way. And I mean, I've been to the, I live in the area now, I work in the area now, I, um, and where the, the homeless shelter in the CRC is. And I mean, I've gone to the meetings 
the other night about the people and the biggest complaint for most of the people is is once again we're not 100% against them but that's not the model of how they were supposed to be operating. People have talked about how when they went to the initial meetings they were supposed to be more transition houses to get people back on their feet, get them into jobs, move them on. It was supposed to be there, you know, people talked about there'd be curfews there. We were told there'd be curfews there. There'd be security there. And, you know, for anybody who's been around there, we know those aren't the models they're running under. And I don't want to come down on Lyft. I know they're just contracted out to do a job. But we have to go back to the provincial government and say, you know, let's, go, let's try and get this operating in the way it was supposed to be operating. I mean, if they said they'd have security at the... Um, at the shelters, they should have it. It's it's not right to download that. I mean, Canadian Tire, all the small businesses now are having to hire security. And that, once again, is part of rising costs and inflation, you know, right. plus the losses of what's going out the door. And I know it's not everybody, but we have to, you know, before we expand that, we have, before we expand that, we have to get our existing model working correctly. And the name change, that's kind of my doozy final question that I actually have is is about the name change situation. Save the best for last. Right? <laughs> Save the most contentious question for last. So how do you feel about the name change situation? Um, at this point, I honestly, for my own personal opinion, I don't have enough information to, to make a call on that. Okay. There's been no talk about what the new name will be, what it's exactly going to be. There's lots of other issues about... Um, with the Powell River name, companies that have it in their name, are they going to be forced to take it out of their name or are we going to let it gradually slip away when names change? Um, what is about a cost analysis for the city? There's a lot of deep, deep issues here. And at this point, it's way too emotional. As, you know, we have to consider along with the, you know, we have to sit there in our intergovernmental relationship. We have to continue to have the conversation. And... We have to discuss all these issues. And when, if or when, depending on your opinion, if or when this happens, at that point, I still believe we have to have an opinion poll. I know we're not allowed a referendum, we have to have an opinion poll. This name change that happened 110 years ago has been detrimental for a group of people for a long time. We don't need to get it wrong. If we are going to get this right, we need to have the opinion, we need to have the people back. And I know from going to the conversation, the conversation meetings, that people were saying, well, with the opinion poll, you're giving the, you're giving the majority the right to make a decision for the minority again. Um, I would hope that Clamon at the same time would hold an opinion poll of their own. Because if we change this, like I said, it, if or when we change this, it better be right. Right. You know, if we stick with what we got over time, maybe something's worked out. I'm not sure. This is this is so early in the conversation that it's really hard to have an opinion one way or another when there's so much of it's pal rumor. Mm -hmm. And um, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep. And it's way too much emotion right now. And tall things calm down. We've worked through the system. We have something legitimate to present to the people. Then at that time have an opinion poll. And honestly, I have said that, said this to a lot of people, that I will vote, if we get to that point, I will vote on the opinion poll how my personal feelings are. I will vote in council 
based on that opinion poll. And if we don't do it that way, then there's no use having one. Okay. Still have lots of time. And I'm through my questions. <laughs> so is there anything that, that you wanted to, to speak about or, or have, you know, electors know about you? Oh, I don't know if there's too much more. I'm trying to think if there was anything else on my platform. I have put it online for anybody that wants it. The www.toddphillips.ca, two Ds, two Ls. Perfect. That's, I tried not to, I tried to put down exactly what I thought. It, most of it starts with a little bit of jurisdictional, what Power River can do, what the problem is, what Power River can do. Because there's so much misinformation about there, like there's stuff that's federal law and provincial law, and sorry, I really can't do anything about that. Right. So I've tried to list that out, and then I've tried to give my opinion. And I've said honestly that if you like it, you'll vote for me. If you don't, you don't. That's the best I can do. Okay. And I, I must have gotten confused by our earlier conversation because I was thinking you're currently living in Cranberry, but you've sold your property yeah, in Cranberry and you live in Westview now? I live right behind the fire hall in Butetail. Yeah, no, I just did the downsize. I, I say I sold the lot. Uh, what, after I got hurt, I didn't have the contracts. I went back subcontracting, doing a few things. And, you know, it was that time of life that I sold, you know, time to start heading off to logging camps for the majority of your life. I um, sold off what I had of the equipment. I sold the 20 acres to a developer from the city. There's a whole bunch of us, a few of us that did along the block there. We were having some problems with city services and mm. for any of us individually to put the services was out of control. I mean, nobody's gonna drop, a, drop the millions. To, so a developer had to come in, buy all the blocks up and mm. he's got the expertise and the money to do it. So yeah, I sold that out. I sold off the farm equipment. I just did, there's that old Freedom 55 commercial <laughs> and I did it at 55 is what I did. <laughs> Walked away, downsized, and like I say now, it's what do you do with the rest of your life? <laughs> right, try to make your city better. Try to, Yeah. and that's, you know, COVID messed me up too. I do a lot of international travel and that kind of came to a screeching halt. I've been 50, 55, that was a few years ago now. That was right when COVID hit. Okay. So yeah, that kind of crashed the plans of traveling lots. What kind of places have you been? I think I've got two of the seven wonders of the world left. I've got one continent left and four of the natural wonders of the world left. Really? I've done Everest base camp and then I was up there for 27 days. I went up to base camp and then through the trail and up to Annapurna, which is actually higher. Wow. And then down the other side. Um, Taj Mahal in India, I've been through Egypt, Turkey was amazing, Not that they call that the biggest museum in the world and they might be right on that. Oh yeah. There's just stuff everywhere and it's not, it's pretty awesome when you can be sitting in Asia and walk the bridge across and have lunch in Europe. <laughs> wow. So far, what's your most favorite place you've been or thing you've seen? They've all got their different attributes, right? Kenya, Tanzania, camping in the Serengeti for the wildlife. Wow. The lions, the all that kind of stuff. Um, the lions, the elephants, everything you could think of. And it's it's like more like I think the prairies were like when the buffalo were there. You know what I mean? You have these massive piles of wildebeest going through and stuff like that. But because it's grass, prairie jungle, you can see things for miles. You can drive up close to them. You can have a look at them. Wow. Obviously, Everest was, I mean, 
once you get up over so high, it's just grays, whites, and blacks. But it's you know the it's you know I didn't climb to the top, but it's still uh, the accomplishment of doing your 10 k a day and just trekking yourself up a hill for days and days and days thinking I could run this at home and you know wow. I could run this at home in an hour but with no oxygen up here I don't dare try it <laughs> if you don't mind my asking how old were you when you did that um I was well into my 40s wow I'm 57 now I'm thinking maybe 10 years ago that's impressive and um yeah so I say they're all they've all got there I mean of course, when we were younger, heading to Mazatlan for spring break was the trip of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> but I've a little outgrown that now. And then probably the biggest accomplishment was uh, Para Pan Am Games. Wow. I competed there with Fergie's Paralympic soccer team and winning the bronze medal there. Congratulations. I didn't know that. That was a long time ago, too. That's <laughs> 2007. Awesome. Okay. That's awesome. Wow. So, yeah, lots of different experiences over time. Nice. It's just what's next on the bucket list. And I wanted to go to World Cup in guitar, but I would have missed. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And if I'm fortunate enough to win, I would have missed. The, I would have been over there for the first council meeting, which I think would have made me ineligible. No swearing in. No swearing in. Oh, what's, what's next on the list besides that? I still have the Great Wall of China, and I have um, the Roman Colosseum left on the Seven Wonders. Vietnam, the Philippines both have a natural wonder. I mean, Everest has been done. There's two lists, so I've, I've gotten, it gets confusing because there's okay. this, I found two lists of the great wonders and one had done a lot more than the other, but <laughs> the other one's the official one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you found there's things you've, you've seen in your travels that you can see translating to making things better here in Powell River or? Yeah, I can give you that honestly. I mean, we watch our, Nothing against the media. Yeah. <laughs> we watch our local news and we get such a distorted view of other world countries and their cultures. And probably the biggest thing to learn is I can go to these countries that I've heard I should be dead in if I land there, that the people are friendly, everything's nice, and their cultures are different. But just because they're different doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. Okay. You know, and that you can take that on just because... There's a whole pile of ideas there. Just because someone's idea is different doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, you can still do some, the same thing a different way and come up with the same results. You know, one might be more efficient, one might be more green, one might be cheaper. But, you know, you look at these different cultures and, yeah, that doesn't, it's not, the fact they're different and do things differently in their lifestyle does not make it wrong. Right. That's a good takeaway. I like that. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to cover? No, I think right now, I mean, the name change is the topic headliner as far as emotions go, but we do have the high tax base, which is important. Uh, the fire hall is important. I'm trying to housing affordability we talked about. Yeah. Um, the economic development end, I mean, we're kind of at this point just waiting to see what happens with the mill. Right. Once again, I've heard lots of but what's real, what's true, what's happening. Apparently, I think we've got five intents to purchase, but I don't know the details of anything, what they are, what they will be. But we have to honestly 
respect the fact that it's not going to happen overnight. Unless another paper mill was to buy it, which I find highly unlikely, mm -hmm. it's going to take years to negotiate the purchase, to come in there, rip down the existing infrastructure, clean up environmentally, and build the new and build the new facility that they plan on putting there. Right. So, you know, we're just, as power rights, we're just going to have to sit here, be patient, hopefully expand our tourism, you know, have small businesses, do what we can to expand our business, five jobs here, ten jobs there, until whatever happens on that site happens on that site. But, I mean, I think anybody, I don't think anybody can honestly tell us how that's going to end up. Right. We can just, you know, for me growing up in the 80s, I can... It's hard to imagine there'll be 3,000 jobs there anymore, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, it is hard thinking of what once was and what is, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, in sure. the 80s, we had uh, two, 3,000 at the mill. The Loggins had four or 500 people. My industry, the Shake Block, had a couple hundred. We had a salmon fleet of boats that ran out of here that employed a couple hundred people. Yeah. So much has changed in, well, I guess 40 years, giving my age away again. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like a long time, but it's really not a long time in the grand scheme of things, how quickly it's changed. No, it just doesn't seem like that long ago at all to no. me. No. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me and, and letting electors get to know you a little bit better and covering some of those topics. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. And that concludes this episode of Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed featuring Todd Phillips. For more information about Todd, have a look at his website where his platform is also available. The website is votetoddphillips.ca. That's V-O-T-E-T-O-D-D-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot C-A. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thank you for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. For more interviews, visit coastalcurrents.ca. Or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. Thanks again for listening.